beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul did not spend much time in the church in Thessalonica because there was so much opposition. He had to leave. But he always had a, a special place for this beautiful, faithful, young congregation in his heart. And he was a true pastor to that congregation. And so when Timothy came from Thessalonica to Paul in Rome and mentioned some of the questions the church had and some of the, the struggles that they were facing, Paul's pastor's heart kicked into high gear and he wrote this letter and he answered all the questions and all the concerns. We read together one of those concerns and questions in 1 Thessalonians 4. Two things about the Thessalonians. It was a, a young church comprised mostly of converted pagans. And they had the thought that Jesus Christ would really return soon, before anybody died. But suddenly dad died. Somebody's wife died. Child, a brother, a sister. And the congregation was devastated. They thought, did, did our loved ones miss out on the return of Jesus Christ? Will they not be with us in the new heaven and new earth? Well, Paul, with his pastor's heart, he says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. It's striking that Paul calls death falling asleep. That's a euphemism. That's a, a nice word for death. And really what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians is, your loved ones, they're not gone. They're not dead. They fell asleep to this world and they woke up to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. And on the last day, when the trumpet sounds, the archangel calls, Jesus Christ will come with all those believers who died. Their bodies will be raised up and given back to them. And together, we will enter the new heaven and new earth. Paul ends that section by saying, therefore, encourage each other with these words. And it's our encouragement today as well, brothers and sisters. During the past year, some of us have had loved ones who passed on. And it's one thing when it's your, when it's your grandmother, and she's 95 years old and maybe has dementia. But sometimes they're young. It's so unexpected. And it hurts so much. But we have the comfort that when they died, they went to Jesus Christ in heaven. They are well, they're happy, and, and we'll be together with them in eternity where Jesus Christ will wipe away the tears from our eyes. There'll be no more death or sin or any kind of bother whatsoever. So Paul ends that topic, and it's very important, and he starts a new one in chapter 5, but they are related. It's a new topic, but it is related. Because Paul has just mentioned the return of Jesus Christ, you know, with the trumpet sound and the archangel's call. And now Paul has something to say about the return of Jesus Christ. First thing we notice, though, is that this section, 5, 1 through 11, ends with the words, therefore, encourage one another build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And that tells us that what Paul is saying about the return of Jesus Christ is not meant to terrify us. Sadly, a lot of people are scared about the day of judgment, even within the church. 
Paul's not writing to terrify anybody. He's encouraging us. The passage we're going to look at this morning is the encouragement we have, the joy we have, as we wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this text will explain why we have that joy and that comfort. You know, we are at the end of 2017, about to embark in a new year, and that's always a time for thinking, for reflection. Where is our life going? Where are we being taken and led by our Lord Jesus Christ? We'll look at that this morning under this theme. Live faithfully and so be ready for Christ's return. We'll see three things. No escape for the unprepared, staying alert by faithful living, and encouragement of God's election. When you look at the breakdown of those three points, you actually, if you look at the text, it just pops out that there's three parts. Paul begins in verse 1, now concerning, then verse 4, but, it's a new point, and then verse 8, but since we belong to the day, so again, a, a new point. They are related, but they're also somewhat different, as we will see. In the first section, verses 1 through 3, we are looking at the unexpectedness of the day of the Lord. How unexpected will be the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and the devastation that will bring on the unbelieving world. Paul starts off our text with a typical pastor's heart. He says, now brothers, about times and seasons, we do not need to write to you. Apparently, Timothy has come to Paul in Rome and said the Thessalonians are disturbed and they have a question about the return of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord. And Paul says, brothers, I don't need to tell you anything. You already know. I, I told you that. And our Lord Jesus Christ taught it as well. But now I'm going to tell you again. This is a typical pastor's response. Of course, Paul is going to answer their question. But at the same time, he's giving them the comfort. And he's saying, you know, actually, you do know this stuff. You know, the thing about the life of a believer is that there's not all kinds of black holes in our theology that we have no idea what the return of Jesus Christ will be like. Paul says, you know, you got that comfort. That's why we sang Psalm 23 together. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid. There's nothing in life that can make me afraid. Paul says, this is a comforting topic. You know it. But now we'll spend some time and I'll explain it to you again to reinforce you in your faith. Now, Paul writes in verse 2, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In verse 3, he intensifies that by saying, if you are not prepared, if you do not expect the return of Jesus Christ, destruction will come upon you. Very serious discussion. Now, there's a, a key expression in verse 2, and it would, would almost be criminal if you didn't notice this. There is an expression, the day of the Lord. That's a, a term, it's a an expression found throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and particularly in some of the minor prophets like Joel, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi. And the day of the Lord always refers to the judgment of God on the unbelieving world. 
the day of the Lord, came upon the Babylonians. Sometimes it also comes on people in the church who do not really believe. Of course, you understand that when God judges the nations, when he judges the pagans, that also means salvation and blessing for his church. But when this comes into the New Testament, the day of the Lord belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's his day, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. He took the scroll and opened its seals. He's ruling this world. He is now the judge. It's his day. And on the last day of the world, when he comes on the clouds of heaven, he will judge. And as he made very clear in Matthew 24 and 25, when he comes, he will separate believer from unbeliever, the, the sheep from the goats, and believers will go into the new heaven and new earth where he will wipe away the tears from their eyes. But the unbelievers, the unbelieving world, will be thrown into the lake of fire, to hell itself, with Satan and his demons, where they will weep and gnash their teeth eternally. The day of the Lord is the day of the judgment of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it'll be very different for believer and unbeliever. Now, Paul adds in verse 3, while, while people are saying peace and security, destruction will come on them suddenly. Who are these people who say peace and security? Well, in verses 1 and 4, Paul addresses his readers as, as brothers. So these people are unbelievers. And unbelievers say, we have peace, we have security. And certainly in that time in the Roman Empire, they really thought they had peace and security. They had a great army, they controlled the world. In our world today too, Canada, Alberta, people say we have peace and we have security. And typically that, that's seen as financial security. Or security in a good education and health system. Peace and security in that there are no morals, there are, there are no checks or balances what we want to do sexually. And we have peace and security as long as we can keep a lunatic's finger, thumb off the button of a nuclear warhead in Northern Korea. This is peace and security. Money, sex, health, education, and so on. And of course our world sees the church and the Bible as an infringement on that peace and security because of what the Bible says about marriage and sexuality, about material possessions, and about how Jesus Christ needs to be the king of our lives. Every aspect of our life must be submitted to him. Our society doesn't want to hear that. That's not peace and that's not security, and as a result, it is rejected. For them, says Paul, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. Both these images of the thief in the night and a, a woman going into labor speak about the unexpectedness of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I know that, I, I don't even think about it anymore, but I, I can imagine that if this is the first time you're hearing this, you say, you're comparing Jesus to a thief or a pregnant woman going into labor? You have to realize that metaphors and images in the Bible, you know, they're trying to make a singular point. 
It's not that Jesus is a thief or a pregnant woman, but the emphasis is on the unexpectedness of it. Did you expect your house to be broken into by a thief? No, you never saw that coming. Same thing with a pregnant woman. She knows she's going to go in labor, but when it starts, it's always a surprise. So Paul is saying, you know, just like that, when Jesus Christ returns, you won't expect it. You won't see it coming. Anybody who says to me, you know, I, and people say this fairly regularly, I think Jesus Christ is coming, you know, right now. He's coming any day now because of how serious things are in the world. I would say, I couldn't care less how bad things are or how good things are. I have no idea when Jesus Christ is returning. Nobody will know that. And that's the point of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, 25. Think of the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. You never know. So you always got to be ready. But the tragedy is if you are not always ready, Paul says they will not escape. That means they will not escape the day of the Lord. And the book of Revelation makes that very clear. Uh, we read there that when Jesus Christ returns, every eye will see him. Now, that's an amazing, amazing thought. When Jesus Christ returns, every living being will hear that trumpet sound and the archangel's call. We read in Revelation 1, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And Revelation goes on to describe how the unbelieving world, when they see Jesus Christ coming, they will scream in terror and they will literally head for the hills. There's no escape. Revelation 20 makes that clear. The lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. It is very clear very horrifying but it's real if you don't believe in Jesus Christ and you're not ready for his return you will go down to destruction to hell itself now brothers and sisters these first three verses they they do have uh, an element of of warning for us an exhortation you need to examine yourself are you ready there, there's that aspect to it but the first and foremost reason that Paul is writing this is to comfort the church. That the day of the Lord is not scary for a believer. It's very scary for the unbelievers. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ is a comforting day. When he will gather us to himself. Make our bodies perfect like his body. And take us into that paradise restored and improved. And there's also the comfort that, you know, people who are going through difficult times because of persecution and oppression by the world, we also know that there's justice for that. They will pay the price. We think about that today, brothers and sisters. We, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, what a beautiful day that will be. You know how horrible it will be for the world. And it also becomes a drive for us. 
you know, the, the person you work with or go to school with or who lives on the other side of the fence and doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, there's this burning in your belly to, to, to share the good news. You don't want them to go to hell. You want to try to share the gospel with them. There is that. At the same time, we know without malice, without, you know, a, a spirit of bitterness, that a world who hates Jesus Christ and seems bent and determined to overthrow all morals, to overthrow the church, to have the Bible removed from curriculums, justice will come upon them when our Lord Jesus Christ returns in the clouds of heaven. So really, at the end of our first point, we're, we're coming to the question, okay, I know it's a comforting day for a believer, but is that, is that what I am? Am I ready for that day? And that, that brings us to our, our second point. Second part of our, our text, it begins at verse 4, 4 through 7, speaks about the preparedness of believers. That believers are ready for the day, and we're ready for the day because we have a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. People in the world say peace and security we find in money or whatever. But you, says Paul in verse 4, you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Believers will not be caught off guard by the return of Jesus Christ because they are awake and sober. Now, Paul's using a lot of images here in this passage, a lot of them. He talks about, you know, the thief in the night, the, the pregnant woman. He's now talking about darkness and night. He talks about sleep. He's talking about being drunk. A lot of images being put together, but he's trying to make a point, of course. Keep in mind that Paul was writing at a time without electricity or anything like that. And so when night fell, people went to bed. Everybody did. You didn't stay up till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning because there was no light. You went to bed. Now, if you go to bed, fall asleep, and particularly if you've also had a few drinks and, and you're drunk, it's going to be mighty easy for a thief to sneak in your house and steal all your stuff. And Paul's saying, that's what our world is like. It's sleep, it's drunk, it's lowered, it's guard, you know, because it's focusing on all the wrong stuff. So when Jesus Christ returns, they won't have a clue. They won't expect it at all. Now, it's scary sounding stuff, but not for a Christian. And Paul writes in verse 5, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Now, you really want to pay attention to the details here and the imagery that Paul is using. What does that mean to be children of the light? Well, if you think of John 1, where we read the word became flesh, that's about the Son of God being born of the Virgin Mary, our Emmanuel. And John says, in him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. And a few lines later, he writes, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And his light takes us out of the darkness and draws us into his incredible light because we are washed in his blood, freed from sin and from the power of Satan, 
And we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit so that every thought, word, and deed may be to the praise and the glory of God. We are children of the light because we belong to Jesus Christ. He is our life. He is our light. Paul writes about that in Ephesians 5 verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases God. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You see, children of light are, are living in a meaningful relationship with God. So when Jesus Christ returns, whatever that might be, won't catch us off guard because we're, we're always ready. It's like a thief can't sneak into our home because we're ready, so we're also ready for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul adds to that that children of light are also children of the day. And it might be tempting to think here, well, that's like a night-day difference. No, he's been talking about the day of the Lord. Children of light are children of the day. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the calendar of my life, I have one day that is red-letter day, and that's the return of my Jesus Christ. I'm a child of the day. I'm a, I'm a child of that day when my Lord Jesus Christ will returns, and he will clean away everything that is wrong and sinful and broken in my life and draw me in to a paradise restored. In verse 6, Paul gives exhortation to live as children of light, and of the day, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be let us be awake and be sober. Be awake, be sober, be alert. How do we do that? If we think of the image of, of a thief, a thief sneaking into your home, and some of you may have had that happen to you, that you had to break in into your home. It's an awful experience. In my previous congregation, I had a, a young family and a, a dad and mom and a few kids. They went asleep, and during the night, some guys broke in. And while everybody was sleeping, and they even came into the master bedroom and carried out a small cupboard so they could take the stuff out of it in the hall. You wake up, and you realize burglars have been in your room, and you are fast asleep. How do you prevent that? Well, you could sit in the middle of your house 24-7, awake all the time with a nice big can of bear spray so that whenever a thief comes in, you spray him. That's not much of a way to live, is it? Who wants to sit awake 24-7 with a can of bear spray? There's better things to do. Buy a security system. Get good locks. We can do that. Well, what about prepared for the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do we spend every waking moment of our lives reading our Bible and praying so that when my Lord Jesus Christ comes in the clouds of heaven and says, yep, he's reading his Bible, he's praying, he's ready. But you can't live life that way. Like, you know, praying is important, so but you can't do that 24-7. You can't. It, it simply isn't practical. I have a job, I've got a marriage, I want to go for a walk, a jog, a swim. Life is full of all kinds of things. So to be sober, to be alert, to be awake is a life in which there is 
Bible reading and prayer. We'll get back to that by the end of our sermon. But more importantly, it's about a living relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. That I know Jesus. I love him. I adore him. I know what he's done for me with his blood and spirit. And I live my life to his praise and to his glory. Then it doesn't matter when he comes. I'm ready. And you know, it's entirely possible that when, our, when my Lord Jesus Christ returns, that I might be sitting in a pub having a beer with my best friend. Or I might be sitting over a little hole in the ice trying to catch a perch. Or I may be holding my wife's hand as we watch a movie together on our TV screen. And that's fine. Absolutely fine. Because that relationship with Jesus Christ is alive and well. And I say, Lord, you come at any moment. I'm ready for it. I'm looking forward to it. Because I'm a child of the light and child of the day. That brings us to our, our final point of encouragement that we have as far as being prepared for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see from verse 8, we're still on the same topic, but verse 9 is key and it's critical. There we, we are presented with the greatest comfort and hope that we have with relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ. We read, for God did not destine us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about our election, that God elected us to salvation, that we are what we are by grace alone. Paul writes about that in, in Ephesians 1, where he says, For God chose us in Jesus Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God had his eye on me, he had his eye on you before you were born before this world was created. He says, you are mine. I am sending Jesus Christ to die for your sins and that you may also be born again. I came out of darkness, not because I made that decision or I had the strength to do it. I came out of darkness because God chose me and God drew us out of the darkness of our sin and misery. It's an amazing comfort that we have, brothers and sisters. It's very important that we all understand it, that we all hold on to it. Why is our life secure? How do we know that we're not going to fall away? What is our strength? It is the love and the grace of God. He chose us and he equips us to live as his children. And that's the reason that Paul can say in verse 8, But since we belong to the day, let us, be so, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So it's because of God's grace in Jesus Christ that we have this spiritual armor to put on and be able to stand up against Satan and the attacks of, a, of an unbelieving and hostile world. Now, Roman soldiers needed army when they fought. We are all soldiers in the kingdom of God. We are under attack. We need to put on spiritual armor, and that is faith, hope, and love. Familiar triad, familiar imagery that Paul uses throughout his epistles. How does that protect us? How does faith, how's that a helmet? How's that a breastplate? Faith is knowing 
and being assured that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. You know, when you live with that assurance, when you live with that knowledge that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King in your life, who in the world is going to knock you off? What temptation can come along? What hostility? Point a nuclear warhead on my head. That won't unseat my faith. Jesus is my Lord. I know it. I hold on to him no matter what. No temptation, no attack can, can unseat me. And as for love, love is a relationship with God and, and other people and, and even people who hate me. I love them. It shows goodness, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. What can you do to the man or woman, boy or girl, who loves? That even when people are hostile, they say, I am willing to forgive you and I love you. How do you unsettle that person from his relationship with Jesus Christ? And as for hope, hope is looking forward and being certain that Jesus Christ will return and, and take us into the new heaven and the new earth. And if you live without hope, well, life can throw anything at me. You know, and there are a lot of people like, like Guido de Bra and so on who, you know, who died for their faith. And they said, it's okay. It's okay. Because I know a better world awaits me. When we put on this spiritual armor, brothers and sisters, there's, there's nothing that can separate us from a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And how do you do that? Well, you know, a Roman soldier spent a few minutes every morning donning his, his armor, uh, but you can't just say, okay, I am going to put on uh, faith, love, and, and hope, and that, that's it. It's, it's not that easy. It comes about, brothers and sisters, through a whole way of living. And the primary thing is the Bible has to be open in our lives. If we are reading our Bible and we follow that with meditation, I'm not talking two minutes, take a half hour, you know, sometimes more if you have the opportunity. Read your Bible, meditate on it. What is God saying to me? And then pray. That, brothers and sisters, builds up our faith that builds up our, 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 our knowledge, our, our love, our, our hope, and it also enables us to withstand any temptation to sin. You know, the, I said it in our prayer before the sermon too, the life of a Christian needs to be very intentional. It needs to be very purposeful. You have to have a, live with a sense of purpose to know Jesus, to walk with him. To see that sword of Satan trying to get in my armor. But I won't let it. And yet sometimes it happens. There are things that threaten us and that might be fear. You know, we're, we're living in a, a culture, we're living in a society right now that, that's very hostile to God. Uh, to Christian education, to our school, to our curriculum. And, and threatening to take away uh, funding, right? It can happen that people wake up in a cold sweat at night and they're dominated by fear. What if we lose this money? What if we're forced to change our curriculum? Maybe, maybe we should surrender. Maybe we should give in. You know, that, that, that's not putting on your spiritual armor. And what comfort do we have there? Well, notice what Paul says in verse 
10, he says, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now, when Paul speaks there about awake or asleep, the temptation is to go back to 1 Thessalonians 4 and see awake and asleep as alive or dead. Whether you're alive or dead, you have salvation in Jesus Christ. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He uses a different word for sleep here. And the whole passage has been about sleep as a bad thing. It's not being awake to our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is Christians fall. Christians sin. And to be graphic here, brothers and sisters, it's not impossible that at the moment the trumpet is sound and the archangel calls, at that very moment, I'm having a bitter argument with my wife and I am not being a very nice guy. Or at that moment, I may have had one drink too many. Or I might be gossiping with somebody about another person. My Lord Jesus Christ returns at exactly that moment when I am sinning. Does that mean I don't get taken with him into the new heaven and new earth? Well, if that's the case, heaven is going to be pretty empty. What Paul is talking about in our text is that Christian sin. He's not talking about a life of unbelief but falling into sin. As Paul would describe it in Romans 7, I find it to be a rule that when I try to do what's good, I invariably do what is wrong. We do sin. But again, Paul says, Christ died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. My Lord Jesus Christ knows that I am a sinner. And he works with that. He continues to send me his word, you know, to, so that I see my sin and, and I repent. But that's an ongoing struggle. When Jesus Christ comes on the clouds of heaven, he will not find a perfect people. He will find people who, who, who do commit sin. He'll find that. But he'll also find that these are people who sin and it grieves them and it cuts them to the heart. And they want nothing more than to be liberated from that sin and live to the praise and the glory of God. And so no wonder Paul ends our text with the words, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. As we enter 2018, brothers and sisters, let's encourage each other as, as friends, as a married couple, as a family, and as a congregation with the expectation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came once to take away our sins. He's going to come a second time, not to take away sin, but to take us to himself in a new heaven and a new earth. We may live 2018 with confidence. Always in the back of our mind, there's that knowledge that Jesus Christ is coming, but we're not fixated on that. I don't spend my whole life thinking about the return of Jesus Christ so that I say my marriage is not important, my job's not important, I'm only thinking about the return of Jesus Christ. No, know about that, think about that, let, let that be your comfort. We're children of the day. But, but knowing that, we can live our lives now. In our marriage, in our work, in our education, we can live our lives now with joy, with comfort, with purpose, with intention, and live it all 
to the praise and glory of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.